Welcome to another episode of Engage with Eagle Forum. I'm your host, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our, our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. We are certainly living through hard and uncertain times right now. While the pandemic has affected every facet of our lives, we really want to focus on one area, our relationships outside of the home. Our social activities have dramatically decreased because of health and safety guidelines around the nation. Our interactions with our neighbors are filtered through masks and six-foot distances, while community events are canceled altogether. On top of that, we seem to have polarizing issues permeating our society that has further drived a wedge between us and others. We can't help but feel the strain in our relationships right now. Many of us are simply trying to figure out how to cultivate these relationships in a different way. That brings me to this week's guest. Matt Gillette is our neighboring expert. He really is the modern day Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Matt is a neighbor, community cultivator, and faith leader living in Alexandria, Virginia. He currently works for a neighborhood nonprofit called Casa Chirilagua. He is a regional connector for the Parish Collective, a growing network of Christians reimagining what it means to be the church in, with, and for the neighborhood. He coaches, trains, and consults with people and organizations who want to cultivate fresh expressions of faith in their neighborhood and is currently reimagining what a faith community can look like in the context of his place with several of his own neighbors. Matt is a good friend of mine and godfather to my son. I've learned so much from him about loving others, so I am very excited to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for letting me join the conversation. Excited yeah. about this conversation. There's a lot of things to be uh, definitely sad about uh, the whole pandemic situation, but there's a lot of hopeful, uh, hopeful things that are also going on, so... Yeah, absolutely. Matt, you take the golden rule very seriously. Love your neighbor as yourself. We all have been taught that at some point in our lives, but putting it into action is a lot harder than it seems. And it definitely looks different for each person. You, however, have made it your life's mission. Tell us about how you became passionate about having intentional relationships with your neighbors and your community. Um, I think for me, it came down to two shifts, maybe in my philosophy or my understanding. Um, one being that uh, God's big story is a lot bigger than we can imagine. So um, when we think of God's story, often we start at the fall, the fall of man, and we talk about sin. And, and this is something that's also is very important to the story, but the story doesn't actually begin there. It begins in, um, in the garden with Adam and Eve. And uh, God's big dream was for them to flourish there. And then within that context, he gave them not only relationship, but he gave them responsibility and restrictions. And to me, that's the neighborhood that we, we inhabit today, right? He has given us this place to flourish in, but also has made us human, which means that we have to have restrictions, but we mm -hmm. also have responsibilities. And then secondly, um, just Jesus, as, as I began to fall in love with this, this God man, as we call him, Jesus, um, I noticed that he embodied faith in a real practical way. Like he was sent to a specific place with specific people, just like us. And mm -hmm. if we're truly supposed to be as Christians, as people who believe that he is God on earth, we are true, if we were uh, 
supposed to follow after him and to pattern our lives after them, then, then we need to press into that also. He had real relationships with real people. Um, and to me, all that kind of led to the fact that um, my faith can only be tested and can only grow in a real place. And that's the neighborhood. That's with my neighbors. And if I believe that we all are created in this image of God, then everyone has something to share with me and I have something to learn from them as well to experience God through them. Um, and so, yeah, those are a couple of places where that, those shifts kind of dragged me into, um, clo- into more relational connection to my neighbors, but also to my place in my neighborhood. That's so good. Now, you live in Alexandria, Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhoods you live in and are involved with? Well, I could tell you a lot about this. I've spent, uh, uh, I've been here maybe eight years now. And um, the first couple of years, I spent a lot of time um, just listening. And we'll get, we'll probably talk a a lot more about that. Um, But I live in what I like to call the Mount Vernon Avenue corridor. And this comprises of a couple of larger neighborhoods and a couple of smaller neighborhoods, but they're all connected via this one avenue. Um, both economically, historically, and relationally. Um, but they're also very all different, right? So we have the Del Rey neighborhood, which is part of that, which um, Alexandrians kind of know as a um, very up and coming, this is the place you want to live in, Del Rey. Or in Alexandria. Uh, you could say that. Um, it's definitely transitioned over the years. Yeah. It, people will call it gentrification. They call it a lot of different names, but the reality is it's, you know, million dollar homes and people with power and not necessarily bad things, but just a lot of money, a concentration of money. Mm-hmm. And then you have, which is also happens to be primarily white Caucasian. And then you have the Arlandria neighborhood, also known as the Chiralagua neighborhood, um, which comprises about 90 to 95% Central American immigrant and has been that way since at least the 70s. Um, and then the neighborhood th- that I actually physically live in called Lynn Haven, which is a uh, historically African-American neighborhood. Um, and they all kind of intertwine. And I actually, the, the place I physically live at is in, in the middle almost of all three of these places. Um, but they're all very connected, but all very different culturally. So um, I do give tours. So if anybody ever comes to Alexandria and wants a tour, I, I, can, I can show you around. Yeah. And you're certainly a walker of the neighborhood. So you would definitely let us get our exercise in on those tours. <laughs> yeah, even now, uh, I walk about 10 miles a day, even during the pandemic. So, well, uh, I think you mean even during the humidity. Oh, even during the humidity, yeah. <laughs> well, you have certainly done a lot of research, past and present, in your community. And, and I think a lot of us don't really, don't realize the, that our communities are rich in history and what that has looked like over the years. We typically just move into a neighborhood and we live our lives going forward, but it's, it's been really important for you to do that research. So how has that research influenced the way that you engage in conversations with your neighbors? Uh, well, one thing, it's important to understand that wherever you find yourself, whether that's by choice or sometimes it's not by choice, you're stepping into a larger story. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are you stepping in the larger story of what God is doing there in that place, but also what he's been doing in that specific place with those people. And I think um, to be able to 
communicate effectively to understand exactly the dynamics of your place, you have to know that history. Um, and you also have to understand uh, the challenges and, and the, the bad things, but certainly the heroes of your place. Um, and that's a, a big responsibility I've taken on, um, or I feel I should say about my own neighborhood is um, we have a lot of great, uh, specifically women who came together in the 90s in our neighborhood and fought fought for it. Like they created neighborhood watches. They, what was it? The They called it the the rat patrol where they would, cause there was a lot of trash and stuff. They just did amazing things. And um, they've become real heroes of mine. And I feel, I feel a good pressure to build upon that legacy. And I guarantee you wherever you're at, there, there are heroes in the past that you can be inspired by, that you can um, build your work upon um, because there just are, there are in every place. So you mentioned that the women of the community came together which is awesome. I mean, we're a women's group and we are all for women coming together as, as women, but also as moms. Um, but you have a daughter who is four months old now. Yes. And, um, and those heroes you've posted on her wall in picture frames. So can you talk about just a little bit about what that looks like in her nursery? Yeah, so I think it's important, you know, being a father, um, of a of a child is something new to me, but I've I've been around um, uh, raising other people up for a long time. But it's important for me to have role models for my children. Um, so it's kind of a they're a mixture of of probably people that you've heard of, um, but then there's a handful of people that have either lived in my neighborhood or are living in our neighborhood that I hope that they can or she can emulate. Um, bits of their story. And I, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting way to, especially now since we're not getting out or she's not getting out as much, um, we can give her a physical representation and share the stories of these people that we want her to be like, you know? Uh, yeah. That's wonderful. I, we just finished a series on education and we talked about different ways you can educate your child. And I fully believe that your child learns from people around you, whether it's in public school, uh, your family, the people on your street. And so I think it's awesome that you're already pinpointing role models for her to grow up to emulate. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, I have a friend who says, um, everything forms you, no matter what it is. And it's the question is, what is it forming you into? And I think that's very, very true. And so as a father, as I'm thinking about how am I raising my child, that is the question I have about everything. You know, what music we're talking about or playing, what pictures we're showing them, what stories we're sharing. Um, that's, a, that's a huge one. Yeah. So let's talk pre-pandemic for a moment. You mm -hmm. instituted okay. several events in your community. These weren't just fun activities, but carefully crafted ones to foster relationships among neighbors, organizations, businesses, and churches. Can you talk about some of those events and how you were very intentional about those? Yeah, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm not an event person. Like, I, I don't actually like throwing events, but they're incredibly valuable um, mm -hmm. for the community. They're in, in, invaluable for creating relationship and connection. 
And so the, some of the events I've started or been part of starting um, range anywhere from, we have this annual Easter extravaganza, which is 10,000 plus people in the middle of the neighborhood, not just an egg hunt that you can imagine, but like medical resources and job, fine, like, we feed every, everything, everything you can think about a festival we have there to like um, these things called stories in the park where we invite local leaders to come in and just read to our children in our neighborhood. Um, but they all kind of have a similar uh, purpose and that is essentially an excuse to meet people, mm-hmm. to root out their gifts and to connect them back together. Cause that's what ultimately makes a stronger neighborhood. And so while I'm not a huge fan of one off event type things, they do have a, purpose and a tool and there's no other space like doing something with someone else that gets you in relationship even if they're different and this also exposes like I said some of their gifts and some of the the assets they could bring to the table well then the pandemic struck and so how did that change your plans for 2020 man didn't it change all of our plans I mean (laughs) let's be honest I remember when we thought it was only to be a two-week shutdown I never, I, I'll be honest, I'll never, I'll never, I, I didn't think that. Um, okay, good for you. You're prepared. Yeah. Well, part of that is because um, I have relationship with people, medical professionals specifically, that work overseas and are, have a little bit better understanding of pandemics, not pandemics, but infectious diseases, I should say. Yeah. And uh, they were warning me like early or late last year about this. And then I have a lot of friends in Seattle. So I had like a long landing strip of like, this is a possibility this could happen. Um, but I, I happen to already be in a, in a time of transition. Um, and so I think that hasn't actually changed. The pandemic hasn't changed that transition. It um, has actually helped facilitate it a little bit, strangely enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's lots of things I think we all would rather be doing right now. And, you know, we don't want to downplay the, the nature of people suffering because people are suffering right now, whether that's economically, physically, I mean, people are dying, but I mean, there's also space for us all to be mourning things that we've lost. You know, some of these events we talked about are like major events in our life every year. Mm. And I've, I've had to, to deal with losing those and losing the fun and the connectivity that belongs to that. Or even the nonprofit I work for, we have, you know, graduating kids and we have a big party that we throw for them each year in which their parents form a letter and read it over them. And it's like a very, like a very emotional thing that we weren't able to do this year. And so, yeah, I mean, it changes, life changes, you have to deal with it. Um, But yeah, I, I think we're all dealing with that right now. It's definitely true. So your situation is extremely tough. Um, even though you pointed out the bright spot in it, you are actually in a high risk health category and you have a newborn. So many of us are trying to figure out how to navigate these waters of balancing everything through the filter of COVID. How have you grappled with staying safe, but also maintaining healthy relationships? Hmm. This is, this has been a very, very, uh, difficult one for me, mm-hmm. mainly because my life and my work are very relational um, and I happen to be connected with a with a people um, with real friends specifically through Casa Chirilagua that are um, it was one of the hardest hit neighborhoods in the state of Virginia at one time 
Um, we're also, they're losing their jobs left and right. Um, and my coworkers are out there. I mean, we've ramped up feeding people. I mean, we didn't do any food distribution before the pandemic and we now distribute more food every week um, than the, the biggest food distributor in our city. Um, and so they're out there like being exposed, potentially being exposed to, to stuff. And so there's a lot of guilt um, that I have, to be honest with you, quite not dealt with or not dealt with yet. Um, in terms of relationships, um, I think two things have, have kind of saved us is that we've done a, a lot of work of developing relationships with our neighborhood beforehand. And like, I mean, our physical neighbors, like the neighbors that live like right next door to each other. And so um, being shut in or being restricted um, hasn't really changed those relationships. It's actually uh, helped those relationships grow. And so um, I think some people that's a new thing, but for us, it, it's just life. Um, and then I think a lot of us are also grappling with being on Zoom for a long time every day. Mm -hmm. And um, part of my, one of my jobs is to go and visit cities and I've developed a lot of relationships in different cities. And so we've been hopping on Zoom every once in a while and just connecting and um, yeah, just trying to keep up as much as possible. But I also had a newborn during this time. So I didn't exactly have a lot of extra time to be uh, having great in-depth conversations with people either. So. Mm -hmm. so let's talk about another layer on top of this. You live, and, and we both, we all do, in a highly political area just across the river from Washington, D.C. How has that impacted your conversations with people? Oh, I, you know, conversations are conversations. And I feel like um, while DC sometimes feels very politicized, and it is, like, it definitely is, trust me. Um, but I, I think at this point in our culture, most other places in the United States are just as polit politicized, right? Like, especially major cities, and even the, you know, the, the, the countryside and, and the people who live out in the country. I think that exist everywhere now. And so I kind of have a couple of, um, I don't know, a couple of standards that I kind of like to walk through when I'm relating to people, whether they believe in the same things or not. Um, a couple of, I have a couple of quotes that kind of illustrate this. The first one is um, this quote by Jennifer Bailey. Um, she says, relationships move, relationships move at the speed of trust, but social change moves at the speed of relationships. Hmm. And to me, what that means is that, um, frankly, we all have things that we need to learn. We all have things that we don't see correctly. Um, but there's things that we also have to, to offer other people. And we're never going to be able to do that exchange if we don't have a relationship with them. If they don't and we don't feel comfortable enough to be real with one another. Um, and so that's, that's a big deal for me. Um, is that just that relationship bit? bit. Um, are we building strong enough relationships to actually have the conversations that could benefit both of us, right? Um, the second one is that people are not problems to be solved, um, but they are mysteries to be explored. And that's by a pastor, Eugene Peterson. And that's that, that curiosity, it comes with uh, communicating with someone, um, understanding that, again, they're, in the, they're made in the image of God that God has placed in them things that I need, that I need to learn from, and I need to root that out, right? 
And um, at the end of the day, I think we get in the most trouble when we start turning humans into issues um, because it, it, it does exactly what I just said. It dehumanizes them. And when we de dehumanize the other person, no matter who it is, um, we get into some really murky, dark waters, right? And we start to look at things a lot differently. And so I think putting in perspective that we're all humans and trying to interact that way is a huge deal. Right. I love that. You know, humanizing people is a lot easier said than done, <laughs> um, especially when you have the political climate that's going on right now. And we hear that rhetoric, rhetoric but a lot of times we just need people to show us what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not, I kind of grew I grew up around the DC area. And so I've, I've been in this environment for a long time. Um, and I, you know, I've heard people tell stories of what it used to be like, where politicians specifically on both sides had relationship and how they treated each other and how it's changed, right? And I think that that is something that has changed, not just in the political bubble of DC, but all over the country. As we've kind of ingrained ourselves in our perspective, we've taken out the ability to have relationship and conversation and be able to be present with one another, even if we don't agree. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of reasons for that. I think even the invention of social media had something to do with that because we're curating what we see right? Mm -hmm. we, can, we can shut off what we don't agree with and what we do agree. And, you know, some people will push back and say, sometimes you have to, you know, you have to say no to something because it truly is evil or whatever. And that's true. But I think most of the time, we're just trying to learn. And we're just trying to be, we're trying to learn how to be human. We're trying to learn and do the best thing we can do for us and our fellow man. And like, we don't have to make another person um, the, the evil one, um, if they don't agree with us, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're right, to be honest with you. Maybe we need to have an experience that sheds some light, you know? Um, maybe we're right and they need to have an experience with someone like us, right? But we'll never get to that if we don't have those relationships. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. Now, you used to host a weekly small group in your home that I was fortunate to be part of, and we had political conversations often. I know we talked about this at one point of whether or not to engage on those conversations, but they tended to happen more often than not organically. And full disclosure, we didn't always agree on the issues that we talked about. Now, we are all in a unique situation where we aren't having those conversations in person, and instead we are taking our views to social media, like you talked about. How do you think that changes our perspectives when we engage in those types of conversations? Hmm. Well, I think one thing is that social media is a tool, and we have to remember that. Like, we have the opportunity to kind of dictate it and use it the way we want. However, I say that because, you know, there is a good argument that, uh, that a lot of experts are, even some of the people who built the social media world would argue that social media is actually bad. Like it's innately bad. Like it doesn't have any redemptive qualities. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I obviously, I use social media. I think it can be used for good, but I think it has its place, right? Um, 
And I think I know what it's not good for more than I know what it's good for sometimes. Mm -hmm. I know it's not really good for building relationship and it's not really good to have conversations, frankly, because you can't have human communication is so much more than the words that we speak or the words that we write down. It's the way we speak them. It's our facial expressions, all those things. And I just don't, I don't think this can happen on social media. And I just, I don't think you can really build relationship that you can see the humanness, humanness of another person via a screen, right? You can't, there's something special. There's such, something tangible about being present with someone and um, whether that's over a meal or just walk. I mean, it's just, it changes, it changes everything when you actually physically see them. Um, so all that to say, like, uh, I would say we, we probably should not be using social media to do a lot of the things that we're trying to do right now. I just don't think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's old school, but <laughs> I, think, I think all of us are at the point where we're just tired of seeing a lot of stuff in our, in our social media feeds when some of us just really want to share our kid's picture on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's okay. You don't have to like make these life or death uh, um, statements via social media. In right. fact, probably shouldn't make those, right? Yeah. Like, and you're not going to change anybody. What's going to happen is the people who agree with you are going to like it. And the people who disagree with you are going to turn you off. So you're not actually doing anything. You're just reinforcing that you're right. And sometimes guess what? I, we're not always right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I actually um, shut down my Instagram and Facebook, right? like probably within like two weeks of quarantine because I was just so overwhelmed with everybody trying to feel like they needed to make a statement. And like you were saying, like it, you can't understand people's tone. You don't understand their true intent when you're not in person. And it was just like frustrating for me because I was feeling like, like, why does everybody want to fight all the time? Which in reality, it probably wasn't like that. You know, people were just scared and they didn't, you know, they, they were using it as an outlet to express their feelings. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I keep in mind, and just in communicating with, with someone in real life and in social media, is that um, while we have a right to express our opinion, we probably should listen first, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and really listen. I mean, there was, I forget what study it was and what they said, but it, like most of the time we're talking, um, we're actually formulating what we're going to respond with as opposed to actually listening to the other person. And so I, I actually try to slow down more now and really intently listen to someone um, before I even get to the point where I'm sharing, you know, my point or what I believe or what I want to say. Um, and I think within that, you can find some really amazing things. Mm -hmm. I, agree. Mm -hmm. I, I think with our jobs, uh, as in like me and Kristen, um, we have a lot of those political conversations that aren't always agreeable. Um, with other people. And so um, I try to find the common good and what we can agree on first. And because you, you find that, you know, people may believe different things, but we all want, you know, some sort of happiness among others. And so when we can agree, when we can find something that we can agree on all together, then that opens a whole nother door of relationship. And um, so not everything has to be Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. Sometimes it's just a, you know, typical human issue. Yeah, I think most of us, 
have similar desires. Like we want, you know, we want to be safe. We want to what's best for our family. We want to have relationships. We want to have enough to, you know, to be, to be filled in terms of being fed. Like these are all human things. These aren't like a Democrat or Republican. And like, there's this place, there's a space for politics, even as people of faith. Like, I think, you know, there, we need to be engaged in politics. We can't just step back from that. But at the end of the day, we have probably a lot more in common than we actually realize. And that is something we can build on. But if we never get there, then we won't ever build on it. We'll just tear ourselves apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So what would your advice be in having political conversations right now with each other, especially when you feel like something is really important, but we're not face-to-face? Well, I would say, one, don't use social media. <laughs> a. I mean, there's, there's other ways you can reach out to someone. I mean, you know, Zoom, Google Chat, whatever. They're not the best mediums, but they're a lot better than social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say give each other grace. Like, just because, in fact, we had something that popped up in our neighborhood um, over some comments made on one of our neighbor, neighborhood mes- message boards. And um, it became a big deal when, like, I don't think the original intent of what was said was what the person took it as. And it was because it was being communicated over social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, like, I think often, especially now, we kind of jump from... Um, we jump from, oh, you said that, that must mean you are X, which, you know, sometimes we're not. We just say stupid things and we don't know any better. We don't have the experience that you have and we don't understand. Um, so that would be one thing, give grace, um, build relationships. Like I said before, like we need relationships to, to create change. Mm-hmm. You have to have relationships to have conversation. Otherwise you're just talking to yourself, right? Um, that's a big one. Um, remember that they're human. That's another one. Like, I, I know we're, especially leading into this election, like, even news reports now, like, about what's going to happen and stuff, like, we're all human, right? We're all people. And, and we want very similar things. Um, I Listen, I, I say that over and over again, because that, to me, like, a lot of this stuff boils down to that. Listen, like, really listen. Try to understand, not just formulate ideas that you want to respond with. And then you said it, find the common ground. Like we all have this, these things that we can work on together. I mean, we've been doing it in this country for 200 years where we've found common ground to work on. Not always perfectly, but we've been doing it. Why can't we do that today, right? So those would be some of the things that I would, I would say. So we can't ignore the fact that all three of us live in a very highly populated area. All of us share walls with others and we have more accessibility to our neighbors. What would your advice be for those who don't live in concentrated cities, but in more rural areas? Uh, normally, actually, would prefer because I have a f- several friends who are are building community and um, being very good neighbors in contexts that you that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So normally, I would defer to them, but I think a lot of this is transferable. So um, it's it's kind of the, the way you think about it. So in the parish collective, we talk about neighborhoods more as a parish and we use that language because we define parish as a place that's big enough um, to live work and play in but small enough to be known and that's sometimes like a physical neighborhood that we we sense of like in the urban environment it could be like just a neighborhood or it could be actually a part of a neighborhood it could be a building right like you could i know people in dc 
who work in the same building that they work in or live in the same building they work in because they work or they live over a WeWork, right? But in the rural situation, it could be a county, right? And so it's all about a scale. So I think a lot of this stuff is transferable. It just looks a little bit different out there than it does in the urban core. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I came from rural West Virginia and uh, I still had a close by neighbors, but we didn't have sidewalks. So we didn't have, you know, accessibility in that way or public transportation. But a lot of it was for us, you know, was sharing tools or the lawnmower or, um, or babysitting and just doing things in that kind of way. So while we may here we may be able to see our neighbors every day just by stepping outside the door in other places you may have to be a little more intentional to reach out to your neighbors or it's just different like mm -hmm. the city person has the coffee shop right or we used to we don't really do that anymore right now right um but the the people who are you know in the country farmers or whatever they have the the general store right that they go into and they hang out in it's mm -hmm. it's transferable it's the same thing it all it all serves the same purpose. It's just in a different different context, a different scale. Mm -hmm. If our listeners want to get more involved in their communities, where do they begin? Mm. Uh, so as you've probably noticed, I love quotes. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. I used to read uh, over uh, 80 books a year. Um, so I used to read a lot. But so I, when this question uh, came up, uh, I would say I, I kind of default back to um, this guy, Peter Block, who co-wrote a book called Abundant Community, father of what's called asset-based community, he says, don't be helpful, but be curious. Um, so to me, that's the, the, the posture we have to have, is don't try to do anything, just explore. That's the first step. Um, and within, within that, um, I have a couple other things that, that I've come to mind. Um, one we've said this over and over again, listening and asking great questions. That's paramount, right? Um, questions like, who do you know that I need to know? I mean, when I first moved to Alexandria, that's how I learned, or I, that's how I got to know pretty much everybody in the city. From the mayor down to like the woman on my street who's been here for 40 years, right? Just by asking that question. And they introduced me to each other, right? So that, that is uh, definitely a good question to use. Um, being present, whatever that looks like, it looks like a little differently now in the pandemic, um, but that could be walking your neighborhood at the same time, going to the mail slot at the same time if you live in a building. Just being present regularly. Um, joining in, so we all have stuff going on in our place, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. Um, and I think for some people, our first inclination is to like start something. Um, but it's a lot better to join in and to strengthen something that's already going on. Um, because one, there's history there. Two, there's all, already a lot of people already involved doing that thing. Um, another one is like learning about your history. We've talked a little bit about that. Um, and then finally, uh, celebrate others and their gifts. I think... Um, that is the real way to build community. A lot of people who go into a neighborhood, even under-resourced, even in the language we use, under-resourced neighborhoods, don't take in consideration, especially if they're believers, that already in that neighborhood, there are people with tons of gifts and tons of assets that they can give and 
really, we just need to be connectors of that. We need to unearth those assets and gifts and connect it with the people who need them, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those are just a couple of things that I would say would be good starting points for people. Good. And then how can our listeners follow your efforts and find resources on the art of neighboring? Oh, so um, this is where I get to plug my pluggables, as they say, right? Um, so I have a website, matthewgillette.online, which is um, current, well, it's been built, but we're adding resources um, every week about neighboring and being present in the neighborhood. Um, most of my social media that we talk about it is Matthew Gillette Online. And then a couple of organizations and websites that I could uh, point people to, parishcollective.org, which is one of the organizations I belong to, um, the Christian Community Development Association, ccda.org, which is another organization that does a lot of work uh, in this kind of thing. And then a really basic overview um, is available at theartofneighboring.com, which is, uh, was built in, con in conjunction with a book, which I also highly recommend as a starting point for anybody who wants to understand how to get and how to be a good neighbor. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us today. If you are watching this and have a question about getting more involved in your community or engaging in hard conversations, drop that in the comment section below. If you're listening, reach out to us at engage at eagleforum.org. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already, give us a rating and share with your friends. You can follow us on all the major social media platforms for additional resources and for updates. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum. Um, we just want to do something a little fun, a little show and tell. So <laughs> I came prepared for this conversation about neighboring with, uh, with my Mr. Rogers gear. First, I have the Mr. Rogers mug. And then I have a Mr. Rogers shirt that says, what would Mr. Rogers do? It doesn't matter what our particular job, we are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen. So, and then Matt has a little cool thing to show us. So someone actually gave me this, uh, this train here, the trolley from the show the other day. Come on, trolley. Go, stop. So I'm very excited about it. I don't exactly know what I'm going to do with it, but it looks really nice on a shelf. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll let my kid play with it one day. There you go. One day. Good conversation piece. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have any Mr. Rogers stuff to show y'all. Sorry. But she's a good neighbor, so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>